We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Notre Dame fans, welcome to another edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. It is Sunday, May 2nd. My name is Brian Driscoll. I'm the publisher at irishbreakdown.com, and we're here to talk about some recruiting. And so we're going to dive into the commitment of Eli Raritan. Last night during our breakdown of the blue-gold game, there was the bat signal from the Notre Dame coaches, which is the new – I actually think it's kind of cool – but it's the new uh, the new thing that the coaches do when a player calls and commits and they know that he's going to then go publicly commit. They put out the bat signal, and usually it's a day before. And I thought it was a defensive player because of some things that I have been told this week. We'll get into that at the end of the show. And I want to uh, – but it was ended up – got confirmation last night that it was Eli Raritan. So this is a commitment that I thought would happen, but I didn't think it would happen as soon as it did mainly because Iowa was putting up a really good fight for Eli Raritan. But Eli was on campus last week, took a self-guided tour, did all the things that uh, a lot of these guys that are looking to do uh, as far as getting a feel for Notre Dame. Obviously, his dad played at Notre Dame, so there's some familiarity with the program, but decided to make his commitment. He had a chance to sit down with some some players and some other recruits last weekend and, and just decided to pull the trigger a little bit sooner than I expected him to, if I'm being completely honest. So this is a big pickup for Notre Dame. And, and to me, we're going to dive into what this commitment means. We're going to dive into his film. We're going to talk about what Eli brings to the game, his projection. We'll talk about what's next at tight end recruiting. And then at the end, we'll talk about sort of who got who are the guys that I have on my radar uh, as players that could be the next in line to commit. So and it is as we go through this podcast, if you all have questions, 
I will answer them. I'll obviously stick to the the questions about Eli Raritan first and then sort of tight in and then we'll go at the end. So feel free to put your questions in there if you want. And we will get to those here at some point in time during the show. So let's dive into Eli Raritan's commitment. So this has been a this has been a very interesting recruiting process for Notre Dame at tight end, and Eli has been a part of that. Obviously, Notre Dame decided last summer to take the commitment of Jack Nickel. Solid player, good football player. Uh, it was a little early, I thought. I've talked about this before. I talked about it at the time. I thought it was a little early to take him because you're still learning a lot about who the top prospects are going to be in the 2022 tight end class. And at the time, you know, guys like Holden Stace and Eli Raritan weren't really on the board. And so Notre Dame decided they wanted to take two tight ends in the class for understandable reasons. Number one, you know, the reality is Michael Mayer is going to be on campus for one year, right? Really one semester when these kids get on campus. George Takis is going to be gone. We don't know how the the, the next three, Kevin Bauman, uh, Kane Barong, Mitchell Evans are going to are going to progress. So you look at it and say, if it's the right two guys, you take two tight ends in his class. Most likely they redshirt is when they're freshmen, unless they're really really good, then they can play. But most likely redshirt that creates some distance between them and Kane Barong and Mitchell Evans, and especially Kane Barong, because I fully expect Kane Barong to play in 2021. I don't expect him to redshirt. I'd be a little surprised if, in fact, if he redshirts. So I thought that two was a good number, but it had to be the right two. And once you took Jack Nickel, it kind of created a bit of a, a bit of a problem in the class. And so Notre Dame continued to recruit the position. Holden Stace decommitted from Penn State. They got in the mix with him. Eli Raritan started to become a bigger name as people started watching his film, paying less attention to the recruiting rankings and started watching his film. And Notre Dame was in a pickle. And that was okay, we took a commitment from a kid who's not as good as these other two kids that we think we could get if we continue to push for him. And so Notre Dame told, we, we went through that with Jack Nickel. He decided to decommit from the class. Uh, Notre Dame would have taken Jack Nickel. They would have allowed him to sign. They would have uh, welcomed him into the program. But he also understood that they were going to keep pushing for tight ends, and, and he decided to to decommit and go elsewhere. And it'll, he'll find somewhere that's more suitable, I think, for his skill set, you know, Boston College type of program. And then that kind of opened the tight end recruiting back up. And Eli was a guy that they made a big push for. Holden Stace has been a guy that they've made a big push for. And I think the Notre Dame dream class from the the different sources that I've talked to in, in different areas is that's what they'd like to do is get those two guys. So the first shoe has officially dropped. And today Eli Raritan made his public commitment to Notre Dame. And so now they have a tight end in the class. So let's dive into who Eli Raritan is and what he brings to the table. So obviously Eli Raritan's dad is Scott Raritan. He played at Notre Dame back in the 2000s. And he is a, was also, I believe, from Iowa. Now he is from West Des Moines, Iowa. Goes to Valley High School in West Des Moines. He's listed at 6'6", 225. He is a consensus three-star recruit. 247 Sports ranks him as the number 16 tight end in the country. And Rivals ranks him as the number 22 tight end in the country. And when I, you know, he, to me, this is the kind of kid that I look at and I say, this is the type of recruit. When you look at uh, 247, they have him ranked as the number 428 player in the country uh, coming out of high school. So when I look at a guy like uh, Eli Raritan, I think this is the kind of, this is the kind of player that the recruiting services tend to miss on the most. The guys that they get right are the guys like, guys like Michael Mayer, the big 240 plus uh, just the grown man, the ready-made player. I think those are the guys that they t- tend to miss on. 
guys like this, guys like George Kittle, you know, George Kittle was ranked the 1,535th overall player in the country coming out of high school. He was 205 pounds. Tyler Eifert was a guy that was overlooked because he was skinny. He wasn't a guy that was from a big area. He was from Fort Wayne, and he wasn't someone that they really took a peek at and said, hey, this you know, didn't project. I don't think they do enough projecting. And so I think guys like Raritan tend to be undervalued. You know, 6'6", six, six, listed at 225. You know, maybe that's a little bit of a stretch right now. Very talented basketball player, averages over 17 points a game. And we have a question here about how I compare his film to somebody else, and I'm going to I'm going to dive into that question to, to kind of break down his game. But when I see Eli Raritan, I see a kid that has all the tools that you look for. He is incredibly long at 6'6", very long arms. I mean, he's built like a power forward, uh, a high school power forward, I should say. He has good feet, very nimble athlete. He has knows how to use his length to his advantage. And even though he's not the biggest guy in the world, he's tough. He'll battle in the run game. Uh, and just the kind of guy that you look at and say, you know, that's the kind of guy that give him time to develop his frame, give him time to get in a weight room, give him time to grow. He's not a Michael Mayer type in that he's going to be ready to play day one unless he has a big growth spurt between now and then. But he is the kind of guy that, to me, when you give him a year or two in the weight room, he has a chance to be a really good player. I'm going to pull up his highlight film uh, as we as we talk more about him. All right, so as we're talking about Eli Raritan, the first thing you're going to see from these highlights is you're going to see an incredibly long athlete. Uh, this is, like I said, 6'6", six, six, very long arms, knows how to position. He's got a very nice second gear. You can see it here, running away from people downfield, tracks the deep ball very well, which is something I like, catches the ball in traffic. Pretty pretty fluid athlete when you consider his size. A tougher kid than I than I expected him to be to be completely honest with you. I didn't think he was going to be as physical and aggressive as he was as a blocker or that he would make as many contested plays and make as many throws over the middle. But you can see the length there just snatches the ball out of the air. Uh, there's some technical things he's got to work on from a route running standpoint. You can see an example there. It's a really choppy top end, uh, but that's something he'll have to work on. It's something he can work on. Look at that. That's an example of his length right there. Those short high throws are tough to bring in. He goes up and grabs it, and that's just that's all about his length. As you can see there, his top ends are choppy. He's not the sharpest route runner in the world, uh, but again, that's that's what coaches get paid for. I like how he works along in the zone there, and you can see how quickly he gets downfield, gets into that zone, looks back for the ball, makes the catch, and gets upfield. So this is a kid that I really like. Is he a is he a player that I would rank in the top one hundred right now? No, he's not. He's a guy that needs a lot of time to develop. But he does rank for me in the top 250 right now. I view him as a four-star recruit. And look, here's the reality. You can say he's you look at his offer list, it's Notre Dame, Auburn, Florida State, Tennessee, Iowa, Iowa State, Purdue, Virginia, Minnesota, West Virginia, schools like that. And then you look at say, well, you know, there's no Alabama, there's no, there's no uh Clemson. And here's my response to that. Who are the top two teams in the country the last decade when it comes to recruiting tight ends and developing tight ends in the NFL? It's Iowa and Notre Dame, and there is no close third. I mean, let's just be honest. Stanford for a while there was doing well, but they they haven't really done a whole lot lately. Notre Dame and Iowa wanted this kid bad, and that should tell you everything that you need to know about what kind of potential that Eli Raritan brings to the table. Iowa is not happy about this recruiting loss. This is a kid that they really wanted, and not just because he's in state, but because he's very talented. 
So this is a big pickup for Notre Dame. You know, you're, you're tight end you, and, and the only other school that can compete with that is Iowa, and you just beat them for their number one target. So this is a big pickup for Notre Dame. There's another example of just how well he tracks the ball. D- defenders going around. Now watch this. This is a blocking film. Now keep in mind, this kid's like 220 pounds. He's got to get a lot stronger, but what you're going to see is a kid that really battles in the run game. And as he fills out his frame, as he gets some weight room strength, you're going to see him here in the slot here. Um, coming up, he's kind of lined up in a bunch formation. You can see he competes in the run game. Not super strong right now, so that's obviously a part of his game that's going to have to get better. But he works his feet through contact, really aggressive player. I really like what, what Eli Raritan brings to the table. Now, here's why I think this is a good fit for Notre Dame. So Notre Dame doesn't really do the traditional tight end really uh, well. I, I think to the best tight ends at Notre Dame are the guys, in my opinion, that can line up and all over the place. Michael Mayer can do that. Tommy Trumbull could do that. Tyler Eifert could do that. Kyle Rudolph, a lot of those guys. And, you know, Troy Nicholas is more of a, a true attached guy, but it, but he didn't have the kind of overall production. He had 32 catches. You know, Michael Mayer had 10 more than that as a true freshman. He was a good prospect, but you know, to me, he wasn't the impact guy that a lot of these other guys were, and he definitely wasn't the volume catcher. He was more of a traditional tight end. Most of Notre Dame's tight ends have been uh, guys that can do a little bit of everything, and and that, to me, is what Scott Raritan is going to be. Now, right now, he, you, you're not going to line him up attached a whole lot. Now, you can see the effort here in the run game. I like this. He's lined up attached, but he's going to have to get a lot stronger for that to project to the next level. But the potential is there. But what I like about him is he's a guy that when you when you watch his film as a route runner, uh, as a pass catcher, he's someone you can line up outside. You can line him up. Uh, I'm going to run through this again so you can kind of see through that stuff. You can run. You can have him line up as a backside guy and say, hey, if you're going to put a corner on him, then we're going to just outsize you, throw back shoulders. If you're if you line him up in the slot and try to put a linebacker on him, he's going to he's going to be able to run with that guy and he's going to use the size. Same thing with the safety as an attached player. He's going to need a little bit of time to get there. But I think the potential is there for him to be that kind of guy. And you see it on film. He works the short zones. He works the middle of the field. And he stretches the field. He's good on bootlegs. He does a great job of getting across the field right there, which is something we saw from Mitchell Evans yesterday. And Eli Raritan, to me, is a is a top a prospect when it comes to that. So I, I think this is a good fit. I think it's a good scheme fit. I think obviously with the family background, there's there's an there's obviously an appreciation for Notre Dame that is there. That's important. But I also think that he's a guy that it, it works for Notre Dame because he's not necessarily someone that's going to need to come in and play right away. And that that you're going to have to be really, really good to be able to do that. So that's kind of my analysis of of Eli Raritan and just kind of how everything went down and, and what I think of him and, and really how he fits into Notre Dame. So I, what I'm going to do here before I move into sort of what's next is I'm going to go through and see if, any, if there's any questions about him. Uh, so here we go with uh, with Jack Sullivan asks, uh, how do you think Raritan and Eifert compare and contrast from high school film? Jack, I think the guy that I would I would compare him the most to is actually not Eifert. If I can kind of take it a different direction, for me, the guy that I compare him most to is Kyle Rudolph. And the reason I say that is is because Kyle Rudolph was a tight end in high school, even though he hadn't filled out his frame as a tight end. Tyler Eifert, up until his senior year, and really even through his senior year, was more of a receiver than he was a tight end. And here's the other thing about it. Rudolph, to me, was a 6'6", skinny basketball player. And I said when he came out that, and a lot of people that that liked him coming out, and Notre Dame felt this too, is once he stops playing basketball, 
this is a guy that's going to fill out a lot. And, you know, Kyle Eifert was a really good AAU basketball player. Eli Raritan scores 17 points per game for his high school team. He plays a lot of basketball. So I think he's a guy that, to me, you look at and say, that's a better projection for me. I think his style of play, I, I think that uh, Eifert was a bit more of a fluid athlete than Rudolph was. Rudolph was more of a vertical guy. I think that Raritan's more of a vertical guy. I don't think he's quite as fluid as Tyler Eifert. I think that uh, that that when you look at Rudolph and you compare them, Rudolph was a more dynamic, explosive vertical athlete, whereas Riordan's not quite to that level. But when you look at their style of play and you look at their bodies and you look at their frames and you look at the way that I see them projecting and how they fit into the offense, I think that's a better comparison than the, than uh, than Tyler Eifert. I just think they're different type of players. Garth Cassidy, Garth Cassidy, thank you so much for the super chat. I really, really appreciate that. So I'm going to go down here. So technical technician, coach, your breakdown of Eli spot on. His basketball background cannot be taken lightly. His athleticism jumps off the screen, literally. And I would encourage people, if you want to really get a feel for what kind of athlete Eli Raritan is, go to type in. So if you go to your Google search, type in Eli Raritan, huddle, H-U-D-L, and watch his basketball clips. That's where his, to me, his footwork is going to really improve. So and to tell you why I think that, when I first saw Eli Raritan, I liked him. I, I had him as a three and a half star player because there were some technical things, and then his technical aspects said, "Well, I don't, you know, I don't know how great his feet are." Then I watched him play basketball, and when I watched him play basketball, I saw really good footwork. I saw really nimble athlete. I see a guy that's you know, taking two steps and just two hand dunking impressively over top of people. I see a really smooth athlete. And so what that told me as a coach is, okay, the hips are there. The feet are there. The explosiveness is there. The frame is there. He's got technical issues he has to work on, which is kind of funny that technical technician is the one that, that is, that brought this up. I love it. But as a coach, that's what I look for. Give me the tools that I get paid to teach him how to play. I just need the tools to work with. And with Eli Raritan, the tools are certainly, certainly um, uh, there for him to work with. So I'm going to go through here a couple, if there's any other questions about Eli Raritan. So uh, Christopher asked this a couple of days ago, you talked about a unpublic commit. Was it Raritan you were referencing? No, it was not. There's actually a few of them. Uh, so uh, Jeffrey Rohrbacher uh, asked the same question. Uh, Jeffrey Rohrbacher says, Coach D, you mentioned earlier that you were aware of a few players that were silently committed but were holding off announcing until after their visit. Was Eli Raider one of those players? He was not. So I, I, I thought Notre Dame was in a good place, but I wasn't sure when he was going to commit. And I thought that they put themselves in great position last week for him, but I still thought Iowa was going to put in a fight, and I thought that there was a chance that Iowa was going to be able to get him to take a visit in June. Notre Dame would not have accepted his commitment today, or they would have accepted his commitment, but they wouldn't have allowed him to go public with his commitment had he said, had he not said he's shutting them things down. If he still wanted to visit Iowa, they would not have allowed him to, um, to, to take that. So, no, he was not one of those players that I had as someone who was going to be the next, be, you know, one of those silent commitment type of guys. So let's talk about what's next at tight end recruiting. And right now it's really, there's, there's one guy it's Holden Stace. I really like where Notre Dame is with Holden Stace. And, and what I also like, let's talk about why I, I like Holden Stace, especially in Eli Raritan, because when I watch those two kids play, I'm going to try to pull up Holden Stace's film. 
there's a lot of things that they both do well, but when you when you they're also two guys that do that have different strengths. So even though they both can line up outside, they both can line up in the slot, they both can line up attached, they both can do certain things. To me, Holden Stace is more of a guy that could be an attached player to a slot player. He's got that bigger body. He's 6'4, 230. You know, he can be more of a a I don't say traditional type tight end type player, but whereas Raritan, I think is more of an outside in player. I think Stace is more of an inside out player if, if from an alignment and then a route strength standpoint. And so I think that compliment right there is really what I look for in tight ends. Now, can you have two tight ends that they're the exact same player? And if they're really good, can that work? Absolutely. That can, that can work. But I feel as an offensive coordinator, this would give Tommy two players that are both really good all around players, but they have sort of different strengths gives you even more of an advantage because you can utilize them differently. You can attack teams differently. You can use them as complements to each other uh, in a rotation. And then it also gives you different weapons when you, when you look at those two players together, using them together. So Notre Dame is in a situation where they, they could line up holding Stace as an attached player put Raritan in a wing. It, when Raritan fills out, they can flip that. They can move. Uh, they can have Raritan as the attach and then move Holden Stace around and sort of a wing fullback type of line. I think he's kind of got that lower build where he's more of a, he's a lot closer to Tommy Trumbull in height than he is Eli Raritan, obviously. So there, there's that aspect of it. I think that you can stretch the field with them both in different ways, but then of course they also work different parts of the field. So I really love this combination. I, I think that Holden Stace is, is a guy that I rank higher right now just because he's got the body for it. I think that – or I know that Raritan has more production. I think Stace has the better body. I'm back and forth on who has the higher upside. I honestly have, have given different answers on different days just because I, I really like both of those players and where they fit and how they – how they get into things. So I, I, I think that that is something that, that I really like about those two players and why I like this combination. And I think that um, they're both potential big play tight ends as too. They're, they're guys that can move the chains, but they're not chain movers, if that makes sense. So they're, they're guys that I think can be uh, really effective players together. So let's kind of, as we talk about what's next. So here's a, here's a question that Tommy Leonard was asked. He said, Tommy says, I don't remember when, but I think I remember you saying maybe within a month or two ago that you felt like they were in better shape with Holden. Obviously that's changed now, but was that accurate? It was accurate then and it's accurate now. That's all I can really say about it. it I, don't, I don't think that that's changed. I think Notre Dame is... We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. 
That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. In great position with Holden Stace. Uh, here we go. Four Horsemen says, now Holden, now Stace, please. Agree completely. Omar Austin Stace should be ready to go once we get him on, on campus. Agree. I think that's kind of where he's waiting for. See, what you have to understand about Holden Stace, his situation's a little bit different. He committed to Penn State once and then decommitted. He's adamant about not doing that again. When he makes his next public his next public commitment, he wants it to be for sure. So I understand, and I'm actually sympathetic to his desire to want to make sure that this is the right place for him, so he doesn't have to uh, have to go through that kind of stuff. So the economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything. Which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed. Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. All right, here we go. DBZ asks this. Okay, we'll, we'll ask to say this now. Coach, on behalf of the overseas viewers, can you have a show later in the evening, your time, every once in a while? Yes, from a sleepy fan. Yeah, DBZ, we're going to we're gonna start that. We kind of did it two weeks ago. I wasn't able to do it this week, but Wednesday nights we're going to have a, a, a late night show, and it's going to be recruiting recruiting emphasis. So I just wanted to get to that as I'm scrolling uh, through the, through the, uh, the questions here. Okay, so here we go. So let's get into sort of recruiting as a whole. So we've talked about Eli Raritan. We've talked about Holden Stace. I feel really good. I'm, I'll be really surprised if Notre Dame doesn't finish this class off with those two commits. Now let's look at the class in general. This is this commitment gives Notre Dame 12 commitments. They have six on offense, six on defense. Pretty balanced class so far. I, I like where they're at. This is a top five class. This commitment from St- Raritan doesn't, isn't going to necessarily move the needle from a recruiting ranking standpoint but I think it definitely reloads the tight end depth chart. So kind of what's next. So here's where things stand with Notre Dame right now. There are at least two that I'm confident in two players that I believe have told Notre Dame, they, they want to come, but they're waiting on certain things, which things that I completely understand and respect. Now those guys could go public at any time. And so when I said last night that it, it was defense, I had a guy in mind because I was told that he could he could commit relatively soon. Uh, he could publicly commit relatively soon, but uh and a lot of people guessed as who that was and and um uh, Hey Bob 157 says Heinish that's not who I'm referring to. I'm not going to get into it cuz I don't want to play that game where I basically walk you into who it is cuz then that's the same as I might as well just say it. But there is at least one defensive player that I look at and say I think that guy is is if he's not, he's not made. He's not officially in the class because he hasn't gone public. But I, I think that spot's spoken for. And then there's another guy on offense that I think is is that case. So, you know, when I look at it, I think there's several commitments. I think over the next month, I expect Notre Dame to really start popping. Yeah, there's a chance that some of these guys could get into May and say, "Hey, look, I'm I'm this close to my visit. I might as well just take my visit first. That could certainly happen. And we've exp- we've explained that. But I I expect this to be the first of of a few commitments over, over these next few weeks. Now things could change. Of course there, I got to always throw that caveat to cover my back, but 
I think this class is going to grow quite a bit here over the next few weeks. And and I hope that uh, I hope that's true of the players that I believe are, are, are basically already kind of on board because they're top players and they're guys that people are going to be very excited about. And then of course, once these dominoes start to fall, then they, then it kind of starts it, it, you know, it's again, I use the word dominoes purposely because what happens is, is right now, Notre Dame has got two linebackers in the class. We'll use that for an example. Notre Dame has two linebackers in the class. So right now that linebackers know they're going to take two more linebackers and there's, you know, three, four five guys on the board. I'd say three, definitely. When you look at, uh, when you look at Jalen Sneed, you look at junior to Alamaca and you look at Sebastian cheeks, it's three guys right there for two spots. Well, that doesn't put a lot of pressure on you to make your decision because you know that there's still two spots to take. So, like, let's just say hypothetically that one of those three linebackers were to commit soon. Well, then that all of a sudden puts more pressure on that other guy that's, hey, I want to be in the class, but I wanted to kind of go through the recruiting process and take my business and all that kind of stuff. Well, as a coach, you can kind of have a come-to-Jesus moment at that point in time. Say, hey, look, man, we love you, but we also love so-and-so. And we're at the point now where we're going to take the first guy that wants to commit. You're our top guy. We're going to give you that opportunity. But if if you're going to still take all your visits, we understand, we respect that. But we have to, we got to protect ourselves as coaches. And we've got to go get a guy that, that we believe to be a really good player. And we can't afford to lose you. And then you take all your visits and you decide to go somewhere else. And then because we wouldn't take this other player's commitment, we lost him. And now we're in trouble. And when you have the kind of boards that Notre Dame has at at receiver, and when you have the kind of board they have at linebacker and defensive tackle and, and even corner, when you can get that second commitment in a class, it really gives you an opportunity to, to, to really figure out who likes you the most. So if Notre Dame can get another receiver commitment, and, I, and that's, that's not something that's – that's not one of the silence. It's not a receiver. I'm making a point. If they can get that other receiver commit, and all of a sudden, it's like, hey, we got one spot left. Who wants it? And then you really find out who really likes you at that point in time and how serious people are. And I think that's where Notre Dame is with a couple positions. So if they can get another linebacker, then that starts a domino of you're going to get that fourth linebacker. If you get a second corner, then that puts you in a position where if you're going to take a third, somebody who wants to really be on has to get on. If you can take a safety and you know you're going to take two safeties, then that's say, hey, look, we got one spot left. Who wants to be on it? And right now, I think Notre Dame is a hot program. There's a lot going in Notre Dame's favor right now. You just had, you just made the college football playoff. You just tied for third, one one behind Alabama and Ohio State for the most players drafted. Ohio State and Alabama had ten each, and I have a breakdown of this at, at IrishBreakdown.com. They had ten players each. Notre Dame and Georgia had nine, so Notre Dame was tied for third with two SEC schools and in, in Ohio State who produces players non-stop to the NFL. Notre Dame was right there with those teams, and a lot of Notre Dame's players were premium players. They had five guys go in the first three or first two days, which to me are the premium rounds of the draft. There's only, I think, two or three programs that had more than that. And, and so they're not just putting out a bunch of sixth or seventh round draft picks like some teams are doing. And like, you know, when you look at a team like, uh, I think it was Kentucky. I'm going to have to pull this up. Kentucky had like six guys get taken in the draft this past weekend, which is pretty good. They had three in round six and one in round seven. So four of their six were in the last two rounds of the draft. And you look at Penn State. Penn State had six. That's only three behind Notre Dame. But three of those guys were in the seventh round. Whereas Notre Dame, you look at Notre Dame, they had five in the first three rounds. And then they had four, uh, in, or excuse me, six in the first four rounds. And, and by the by round five, they were at eight. 
they got another guy that they added late in round seven in, in Ben Skoranek. But you know, that's something that Notre Dame has a lot working for it right now. And, and I think that they are in a position where they can start to put the screws to players a little bit more than than maybe they could have in past years. And that's a great place to be. I'm going to go through here now. And now I'm going to answer recruiting questions. If you all have any recruiting questions, it can be about tight end. Obviously, it'd be great to stick to this, but you can ask other recruiting questions as well. Let me get to some of these questions. Appreciate you all being with me on a Sunday. I know it's a little bit, a uh, little bit of a, a break in the middle of the day, but uh, I think it's good when we can talk about about recruiting. A couple of comments here about uh, about Tommy Lambert talking about Eli Raritan. I like how he catches with his hands. He's got very, very, very good, uh, very, very good talent. All right, Brandon asks, is Stace aware of the fact that Notre Dame is planning on taking two tight ends in this class, hoping Raritan's commitment doesn't deter him in any way? He absolutely knew that. That is, This is not this is not news to him. He knew that they were going to take two. Remember, Notre Dame started recruiting him when they already had another tight end in the class. He liked Notre Dame. Notre Dame has been considered his leader since they had another player in the class. So that is not, that is not an issue at, at all. Garth Cassidy asks about... This is defensive line recruiting. Do you think Notre Dame has room for both Lucas and Heinish? So personally for me, Garth, I would like to see Notre Dame wait on taking a, a commitment from, from Donovan Heinish. Now, I like Donovan, and, and I think Donovan's actually a little bit better than his brother was at this stage in his career, and we've seen what, what Kurt's been able to do. I, I don't know if they have room right now for two, especially if they're going to keep pushing for Cyrus Moss. And so I would I would maybe wait a little bit on him and see what happens with Anthony Lucas, because you can get Kurt Donovan Heinish most likely down the road. But if they if they had room for him, I'd be fine taking him right now. My understanding, however, is, is that they're tight on numbers when it comes to defensive tackle recruiting. And I think part of that is because Jason Onye is already 285. I would imagine that they're going to project him to be inside a little bit more. Plus, as Notre Dame goes to more of a 3-3 look under Marcus Freeman, there's going to be less of a need for nine guys at defensive tackle. That's the other part of it. I think they would rather have big ends like Riley Mills types that can be big ends that can grow into three techniques than taking just pure interior players. And right now, Anthony Lucas is clearly the top guy on the board. I mean, you could make a case that Anthony Lucas is the top recruit on the board, regardless of position for Notre Dame. When you consider his talent and then also the the premium position that that he takes. And then Christopher says, Lucas is probably a must take no matter who is committed. That is true. However, if you are tight on numbers and you think you have a good shot with him, then then it's okay to wait. Get him on campus this summer, see how it goes, uh, and, and go from there. So I, I would wait, me personally. It's not a knock on Donovan Heinish. I think Donovan's a good football player, but I think Notre Dame has recruited this position so well in recent years that they can be a little bit choosier and a little bit pickier. They don't need to rush to fill depth numbers. It's about landing impact talent. And I like Donovan, but he's not an impact talent. Anthony Lucas is an impact talent. And look, I was told by a couple of sources that Caleb Artis liked Notre Dame and, and was real serious about Notre Dame, and they kind of pumped the brakes on him a little bit. And if you're pumping the brakes on Caleb Artis, then I would imagine you need to pump the brakes a little bit on, on Donovan's stace as well. So uh, so there's a good question. Says, Does this help with stace? I, I don't think this helps or hurts with stace. I think that they're recruiting them both individually. They both knew that Notre Dame wanted two, two tight ends. So I don't think this moves the needle for him other than the fact that 
know, maybe they could say, hey, look, you know, what's the deal? We need a second tight end. And if you're not going to come, we need to find somebody else. But I, I don't think that's the case. I don't think those conversations are happening. I think Notre Dame is very comfortable with where things stand with with uh, with Holden Stays. Griff Weedler asks, Griff, am I pronouncing your last name right? I hope so. Let me know in the comments if I if I am or I'm not. But still a low 20s type of class numbers-wise. I think right now it's a low 20s number. I think 23 is, is a good spot. But again, I could see this growing because I, with the transfer rule, I think they could lose a couple guys here and there. There's some guys that could potentially be medical, uh, uh, medical situations so they can kind of you look at it and say, okay, that's going to free up a scholarship. So I, I think that they could get to 25 if it's the right 25. If they're at 23 and Cyrus Moss and Anthony Lucas want to come, then you take them. I mean, I, that that's just the deal. But I, I, I kind of look at like 22 right now is a sweet spot for me. I think they could get up to 23 based on where they where they are now. But I think that that 22, 23 is, is really where they are. 25 is more of a some stuff would have to happen for them to get to 25. All right, Jeff Fluke asks, uh, who do you prefer to fill out the rest of the linebacker class? So, Jeff, that's an interesting question. And to me, to me, it depends on how you view Josh Burnham. And and for so for me personally, I may view it a little differently than Notre Dame. And, and here's what I mean by that. So Josh Burnham, to me, is a very versatile player that could play Mike. He could play Will. He could even be a guy that grows into a Viper. He's got that kind of length and that kind of natural power. But if you view him as a Mike, then I think how you're going to want to fill out the class is with Cheeks and Sneed. If you view Josh Burnham as more of a Mike potential Viper, then you're going to want to do Tui Alamaka in one of Sneaks or Cheeks, or excuse me, Sneed or Cheeks. Personally, I'm I, I rank them. You know, I've got two Alamaka and Sneed ahead of Cheeks, but they're all in that sort of category where you're, you're, there's not a wrong answer, honestly, Jeff. There's not that they're in a situation where I just said I I have Cheeks ranked third on my list. Sebastian Cheeks is a top 150 football player that has not played a lot of football, and if he can if he can stay healthy and gain more experience, could see himself shoot up because he's got. He's very explosive. He's got some athleticism. He can drop on coverage. He can, he's got some power. I mean, there's a lot of talent there, but my issue is he's just the injury that he had as a sophomore. And then there's just not a lot of, there's not a lot of game. He had a short injury, shortened soft injury, shortened sophomore season. And then as a junior, they, he's from Illinois. So they, they had a shortened season for everybody and they didn't play it till the spring. So he's still a developing player. But when you, when you look at him, he's got a lot of tools. Jalen Sneed's a different kind of guy. Jalen Sneed is a, a very raw prospect with elite explosiveness, in my opinion. Where does he play? Is he a will? Is he a rover? Is he a is he going to eventually be a guy that you want to br- bring as sort of a sub package guy on third down to rush the quarterback and do a lot of different things? And so, as he develops and how you view him is going to is going to impact that as well. But at this time, if you view Burnham as a Mike, then you should want Cheeks and Sneed. If you view Vern, Burnham as more of an outside player, will to to potentially moving down to Viper or being like a Sam in a three three look, then you're going to want Tui Alamaka. And Tui Alamaka to me is got the highest floor of all the three linebackers. He is the to me the guy that's most certain. I'd say Snead has the highest ceiling 
of the of those three. But honestly, it's a win-win-win. Sean Rogers said, I would take all three linebackers, five in the class. If they could make numbers for it, Sean, I would love it. And the reason I think it would make sense is because, number one, Notre Dame technically could line up four linebackers on the field together at the same time. I mean, you could have a Rover, which is Nolan Ziegler, and then if you wanted to go to the 3-3 look where you have a Sam, Mike, and a Will, basically, that's three more linebackers. I mean, if you had Ziegler at Rover and, and you had Tuyalamaka and Burnham and then some, some combination of Sneed, Sneed and Cheeks at that third linebacker, psh, I'd, I'd be great. And then in, when you go nickel, you bring in one of those, you know, maybe you bring in, if Cheeks is starting, you bring in Sneed as a pass rusher. So there's just so many, there's so many different combinations you can do because of the defense they're in. If Notre Dame was still running a pure 4-2-5, I'd say, no way, Sean, you can't do it. You just can't do it. You have two true linebackers and a rover. But now, the way that I think Marcus Freeman wants to build this thing, you could have four linebackers on the field together, depending on their unique skill set. And the thing I like about the five that you're talking about, Sean, is that five, they have very different skill sets, which means they can complement each other very, very well. So that's kind of that's kind of where I like it. And then... He says you can always move one to Viper, and there's several that could do that. Sean, to your point, I think Sneed doesn't have the body for it, but I think he could play that position in like nickel packages. I think Burnham has the body, could eventually grow into a Viper. I think Tuyalamaka has a body that could eventually grow into a Viper. So I think that that yeah, you could do a lot of those things. But uh, why? Okay, thanks, Griff. But I think the problem there is, again, it's it's total numbers in the class. If you're going to take five linebackers, you have to t- you have to cut from somewhere else. And I understand that the desire to take all five because a they're all really good football players, and b other than Prince Colley, Notre Dame's basically been shut out a linebacker the last two years. And some of the guys in the, the 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 eighteen and nineteen classes haven't quite panned out the way that we we all had thought. So I think that is that is kind of that is why I don't think five is going to happen. I don't think Notre Dame right now is anticipating taking all five. I think unless something changes on the roster or with one of those linebackers, I don't see. I don't think you're you're going to see that as well. But uh, I definitely understand the the desire to want to do that. Mark Perry says, "Where are we with?" I think you meant Cyrus Moss. And right now, Mark. So I had a, a buddy of mine works camps, and he was out talking to Cyrus recently. And apparently, he's going to make his visit soon. He's going to make a visit in June. He has a visit set up in June. But uh, from what I'm told, he likes Notre Dame quite a bit. But there's some there's there's just not a lot of certainty there. He has to get back out to campus. He needs to see the campus. He's meet Marcus Freeman. He needs to kind of get down and see exactly how they're going to use him. And, and one of the big keys for Notre Dame is going to be they're going to have to convince him when he makes his visit that here's how you fit with the guys we currently have on the board. You know, right now, Notre Dame has three defensive ends, and he knows that. He's very aware of that. And, and so that they have to explain to him why, A, you're, you're, you're the highest-ranked guy there. And then number two, here's how we can use you together. And I think those are the things that uh, – see, Mark corrected himself before I got to it. Uh, you, you can use him together with those guys. And I think that's that's one of the big selling points of Marcus Freeman's defense is, hey, guys, we don't just line up in a four-two-five or a three-three-five every time. It's the same personnel. If I have nine guys that can play at four spots, then I'm going to find a role for nine guys. That's just how he coaches, and, and, I, and I really like that. So I think those are – those are uh, – you know, those are things that consider at this point in time. 
And Griff says, if Ekwanu is at Viper permanently, does that potentially open up the door to take all five linebackers? Griff, I don't, I don't think so. And it's Griff Weidler. I appreciate you correcting me on that. If it, 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 to me, it's again, it's you're not taking all five because you don't have room for him at linebacker. You're taking all five. You're not going to be able to take all five because you don't have enough room in the 85 scholarship limit, in my opinion. If if the only way you're going to be able to open up a door to take all five is if somebody leaves the program. So see to Aguanu, let's just say he does move to Viper permanently, and I don't know if that's going to be the case. I, I'm still trying to find that out. But it, it, it's a situation where that doesn't change your overall numbers, though. And they're not going to pass on five. You know, they're not going to take just four linebackers because they have numbers at that position. They're going to take four linebackers because that's the best way to manage the entire class. So unless something changes in that regard, then you're you're not going to see them take five. As much as we would all probably like to see him do it. It, it, something would have to change dramatically in the class because I think even if a player transfers, I think there are other positions where that need for the extra scholarship would be greater. Than, linebacker, than a fifth linebacker in this class, no matter how good those guys are. Joseph Juan asks, any thoughts on Snead winning linebacker MVP at the Rivals camp? I don't. I don't care about camps. I mean, it look, Sebastian Cheeks is a very – I mean, excuse me, uh, Jalen Snead's a very athletic player. These camps are about athleticism, and they're about hype and those types of things, so I'm not surprised he won it. I didn't see him perform in it. Don't care. I probably won't watch the film. I know Jalen Snead's a beast. And I don't need to see him running around without pads on to know that as a linebacker, he's a really good football player. Because all that does is just show he's an athletic guy, but we already all knew that. Sean Rogers has some very high praise for Snead. A couple people do. I'm going to show those. Sean says, uh, Snead's tape reminds me of Jalen Smith's high school tape. I think Jalen was a bit longer and a little bit more of a natural football player, but I I can see the similarities. There's a burst there. I don't know if he's got the long speed that Jalen had, but there's some similarities there. I can see why you would see that. Technical technicians need is an incredible town, in my opinion. The fact that he's academically inclined coming from the South is terrific. I say this as a Southern man, so definitely not a shot at the South. Good to know. All right, Kevin Carter asks, of those three, and we're, and we're talking about Junior Two Alamaca, Sebastian Cheeks, and Jalen Sneed, where do they sit with them? Are they sitting high with Notre Dame? I would argue that Notre Dame is in the top two for all three of those guys. I think Notre Dame is the surefire leader for two of them, and I think you could find a a recruiting analyst somewhere that would 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 say that they recruit that they lead for all of them. So I think there's a there's analysts that believe Notre Dame leads for Junior Two Alamaca. There's analysts that believe they lead for Sebastian Cheeks, and there's analysts that lead, believe they lead for Jalen Snead. I believe they lead for at least two of them, and if you had to if you had to really pin me down, I'd say that they're the leader for all three. I think that there was a time I thought that Junior Tula Maka to Notre Dame was a no-brainer, but I think Texas is making a very hard charge, and I've been saying this for about a month. Texas is making a very hard charge. Sebastian Cheeks, it's Notre Dame, Oregon, a couple other schools he's looking at. I think Notre Dame's in very good position there, but they've got to close now, and I think that Sebastian Cheeks has is, is, is got an interest. He's had an interesting recruitment, but you know Notre Dame has been on him from the beginning, and there's a lot of things that uh, that 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 are going to determine whether or not or when he's going to ultimately join the class. Roderick Blackman says depth is what separates the good teams from the elite teams. I agree completely, Roderick, and that's why I think you need four linebackers in this class. My thing with the fifth linebacker, however, and I'm not saying that you're implying this because you didn't say this, but the people that are talking about it is you still have to be able to make it work within the 85. And what you don't want to do is have this really loaded position and then you come up short at other positions. There are positions where you can go higher on numbers. 
I think secondary is one. I think that receiver is one. And the reason for that is, is you tend to find more positional flexibility at those positions. So, you know, a running back could go play a running back, for example, could go play slot receiver. He could go play corner. He could go play safety. And a big running back could go play linebacker. A, a corner can go to safety. A safety can maybe play nickel or corner, grow into a rover. Linebacker, there's a little less positional flexibility. Maybe they grow into a viper, but that's about it. So it's it can be challenging to go too deep on numbers at linebacker because now you start having an imbalance on your roster. And I think that's the challenge. So I'm going to scroll through here. Uh, Brandon likes Jalen Sneed more than Cheeks. Sydney Moore asks, what happened to Kamara Rogers? I know it was more of a long shot, but I heard he pulled out of his official visit. Yes, that was reported by, I believe, uh, Tom Loy uh, reported that, and I and I believe one of the other Notre Dame sites reported that. And essentially, it's just he decided he wasn't he wasn't you know, he liked Marcus Freeman, he liked Mike Mickens, but at the same time, he just didn't have an interest in going to Notre Dame and going up north and and doing all the things that it takes to be at Notre Dame. And, and so that's disappointing. I'd heard that he was he was academically inclined, and that part wasn't going to necessarily pull him away. But as we see with a lot of these younger players, that's that's what we saw. It just it's a is an unfortunate situation because I really felt Sydney to your question. I thought if they got him on campus, I thought they'd have a really good shot with it. And they fought like crazy to get him on campus, but at the end of the day, he just decided he wasn't going to come. And, and I respect him and his dad for for stepping up. And I, I think it was um, I can't remember who reported this, but another reporter had a, an interview with his dad. And I and I'm not I'm not purposely not giving them credit. I can't remember who it was, but his dad said you know they called Notre Dame and let him know. And, and I respect that. You know if you don't if you're not serious about Notre Dame, give them the respect to let them know because. If they didn't, and all of a sudden Notre Dame starts saying, hey, we're going to slow play Benjamin Morrison. Griff just brought that up, and or we're going to slow play this guy or that guy because we think we got a shot with Kamari, and then he doesn't have a serious interest in you, then, then that could hurt you. So uh, kudos to Kamari and his dad for being straight up with Notre Dame this early in the process, and uh, and now allows Notre Dame to kind of reshuffle their board a little bit. Patrick, say, hey, Patrick, really, really appreciate, uh, appreciate this super chat a, a ton. Really appreciate it. Patrick says, jumped on late, so you may have answered this, covered this already. But, hey, for $20, buddy, we'll cover it again and a third time. I saw some good stuff about Notre Dame and C.J. Williams last week. Any legs to it? Maybe Dell is finally waking up from his slumber. Great coverage this weekend. Thank you. I don't know if as much as about Dell as it's about just the whole team effort. Tommy Reese is getting on him. I think that Dell is being kind of pushed a little bit here uh, to get on him. Remember, Vince and I talked about CJ several months ago when he first started diving into the 22 class. And, and my frustration at the time was this is a kid that you led for very early on. There was a lot of people when he was a freshman, sophomore that felt that that Notre Dame was going to be the team to beat for CJ. And then they just dropped the ball. They didn't stay engaged in him like they should have. Uh, Coach Alexander just wasn't putting in the work on the recruiting trail that needed to, to, to really solidify it because there's a lot of other big time programs going after him. Ohio State's still pushing for for uh, for CJ Williams. So I think that because you had that great early lead, you had that great early positioning with him, it puts you in better position to recover from a mistake. Where with some other players, if they decided to get in on Caleb, you know, push for Caleb Brown again, I don't think it'd have any impact because they were never in that lead position like they I think they were with CJ. So there has been more interest. We've kind of chatted a little bit. There, there's definitely some interest there. He's going to be visiting Notre Dame in June, which is incredibly important for the Irish. And he's a guy that if they can, if they can keep keep at it, have Coach Polian on him, have Coach Alexander on him, have Coach Reese on him, get Coach Kelly on Zooms with him, 
if they can do all those things and, and really make CJ a priority, then I think you, you can get him in the class. And, and so here's the interesting thing about it. So CJ's a kid that I could see committing somewhat early. My hope, my hope is that Notre Dame also makes a very, 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 very hard push for Xavion Bradshaw. If you get Xavion Bradshaw and then, and then you get CJ Williams, well, now to me, my focus is on one guy, and that's Tobias Merriweather. Now, the reason you can do that is because Tobias has said he's not going to commit until probably at an all-star game and then sign in February is what he said right now. So he doesn't appear to be in any hurry to slow down his recruitment. So you can stay on him, and then by the time you get into November, you're going to know, A, you have room for Tobias, or B, you don't. But you stay on him. And then if something happens and maybe there's an injury or a position move or or somebody transfers during during or after the season – You've already put it on the work on Tobias, and now you're in a much better position. So that's what I would do. That, to me, would be the dream scenario for Notre Dame at receiver. And, and I think that that, is, uh, that, that to me, is, is the – that would be a great, great recovery, a wide receiver. And, look, I think a big part of this is Tommy Reese. I mean, we have to give Tommy Reese credit. He's putting in a lot of work at wide receiver right now to get back in with these guys. And I've been critical of Coach Alexander. We're hearing more and more and more from guys like – Savion Bradshaw, Tobias Merriweather, now C.J. Williams, that, that he's getting he's getting involved with him and staying on him, and, and that's good. Now it's closing time, right, Patrick? I mean, that's the deal. It's, it's great to be – you know. No, Mike Elson said this when he was interviewed a while ago. Look, we got to get guys to say yes. Notre Dame, there's a long list of players, really good players, that Notre Dame finished second, third, and fourth with. Guys legitimately like Notre Dame, but they just chose to go somewhere else. Well, now it's time to get those guys to start saying yes. And as we talked about, there's a lot going in Notre Dame's favor right now. This is the time to do it. Two playoff appearances in three years. You just put nine guys in the NFL draft, which is tied for third. You're one behind Bama and Ohio State. You're proving you can put dudes in the NFL. And, and now it's about using that to your advantage to really close out and start getting getting a yes from you know two, three of those really difference makers a year. But then down the line, just upgrading overall. So instead of getting that you know, that guy that's maybe fifth on your board, getting that guy that's third on your board. Instead of always getting the guy that's fourth or third on your boards, also start getting that guy that's number one on your board. And those are going to be the big keys. Griff, I'm not sure about this one. I have heard different differences on this. And the sources I've talked to said, yes, they like him, but they're they're and they're recruiting him, but they're not pushing for a commitment. I don't know if there's any corners right now that they're pushing for a commitment. I think we could see that change now that Kamari Rogers has kind of dropped Notre Dame. We could see that change, but as of about a week and a half ago, they liked him. They're recruiting him, but he wasn't. A guy, they weren't really pushing for anyone to commit right now. And because you have Jaden Mickey in the class, and look, if you haven't watched Jaden Mickey's junior film, do it because he he was really good. He really jumped up, in my opinion. But um, you know, I, I think that we're going to start. That's going to start being more evident as we get post spring game. And I think that's where we're gonna we're gonna see that. So let, let's see here. Jeff Fluke, this is a great question. With the change in recruiting philosophy, are you enjoying the offseason more? Yeah, I am. I really am, Jeff, because it's nice to see Notre Dame putting in the work. And so when you talk to some of these guys, like, you know what, they actually have a shot. I can't tell you how many times that we've interviewed kids or I've interviewed kids in the past, and I'm like, fans are excited about it. like they got no chance. Because I'm talking to the kid, I'm like, you, you hear certain things like, okay, who's recruiting you the hardest? And they'll name five or six schools, and you never heard Notre Dame. What, co- what coach you had the best relationship with? Never heard Notre Dame. 
And then, so why are you looking at Notre Dame? Well, you know, it's prestigious and, and academic. And then you find, and then you talk to the parent, and you're like, oh, that's it. It's mom and dad love Notre Dame, but the kid doesn't. And what's exciting now is that you're you're seeing kids more excited about Notre Dame because here's the great thing: four years ago, when you were recruiting kids, you were still selling what happened in 1988 and in 1993. Now, because you've been in the playoff two of the last three years, if you're Notre Dame, you're saying, hey. We've been in the playoff two of the last three years. We just beat Clemson. We almost beat Georgia twice. You're the difference between us being a playoff team and losing and us being a playoff team and winning. That is a different world than a few years ago when you're four and eight or 10 and three or, or eight and five or nine and four. And you're saying, hey, you know, we'd like to have you to be the next guy. Well, yeah, so is Oregon State. So does everybody. But now you've gotten to the show two out of the last three years. And the year you didn't, you went 11 and two. And almost beat Georgia at their place. They're in such a better place right now to finish with these top guys. But my optimism wouldn't be what it was if it wasn't that they didn't have a defensive coordinator now that was putting in great work. If the head coach wasn't wasn't putting in more work and wasn't being more involved and wasn't being more active, if those things weren't happening, then I wouldn't be as optimistic. So yes, uh, Jeff, the, the recruiting philosophy is is changed, and it has made for a much enjoyable offseason because there's actually optimism that, wow, they might actually get some of these guys. These different these gap closers, are, they actually could get some of these guys. It's a very exciting time for me for now. And as, as you know, Jeff, you follow me for a while. If you have, I'm going to call you out, and I'm going to be critical when I feel it's necessary. But if you're doing the job and you're putting in the work and you're doing what you need to do and you're giving it everything you can give, I'm not. I'm going to be. I'm going to praise you. And right now, there's reasons for a lot of praise for Notre Dame. Look at the spring game. I was very critical of Brian Kelly's hire of Tommy Reese, but I love what Tommy Reese is doing right now. So I'm going to praise him for it. I'm praising for what he's doing on the recruiting trail. I'm going to praise what he did this spring. We talked yesterday in the in the post game wrap up. I showed a couple plays where the quarterbacks are processing through information a lot quicker. If I if I criticize Tommy Reese for the previous quarterback not doing it, I need to praise him now for the quarterbacks that are doing it. And that's how we'll always be. And and so when it, there's a lot more reasons to be positive uh, or be excited, then I'm going to be it and I'm going to enjoy it. I'd much rather be positive than negative. Let's, can we be honest about something? If this was just a business decision, I'd be the biggest homer around because that's what makes you more money. But I've chose to, I'm going to be objective. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to give you my honest opinion. So if I'm excited about something, then you're going to know there's a reason to be excited because I'm going to be fair about it. Michael Scheller. Hey, Brian, with a Y, where is Notre Dame with secondary recruiting in the 2022 class? So right now, I think Notre Dame is still shaking out their board, to be completely honest with you. I think that that with Kamari Rogers coming off, there's a couple other guys that have come off. There's some big-time guys on the board. Xavier Nawant put just to release his final seven, and Notre Dame was in it. He's got an official visit scheduled. You don't necessarily want to make too many moves until you get him on campus in June and see where he's at because safety recruiting is a little bit interesting. I think they could get away with only taking one if they do if they can get the right guys at corner. Uh, so I think they're they're kind of being a little bit slow. They're they're recruiting a lot of guys, but they're not pushing for a lot of guys. But Devin Moore from Naples, Florida, is a guy that the staff really likes, from what I understand. There's he's a guy that they're they're I won't say they're pushing for him yet because they want to get him on campus, but he's a guy that they really like that I think they view as a guy that could play three or four different positions in the secondary. He could be a key player in this secondary class because, Michael, I could see him being a boundary corner. I could see him being a field corner if you're going to play more off-man. I could see him being a really good nickel, you know, sort of like a 
that hybrid that hybrid position that's sort of the rover, but could have also go to a DB. I could see him playing free safety. I could see Stevan Moore playing a lot of different positions at Notre Dame. And the thing I like about that is, as you know, Michael, those kind of Swiss Army knife kind of guys, it's a lot easier to find a spot for him. Hey, Devin, do you want to be our number two boundary guy or do you want to go start at free safety? Or, hey, do you want to be our number two free safety or do you want to go start at boundary corner? Or do you want to go start at the nickel? You know, and a guy like that will we'll take that and, and you put him there. And that's what I really, really like about him. So uh, that is where things stand. Guys they're looking at, Benjamin Morrison's a guy that I think is, is in that top group. We already have we already we already know about Jaden Mickey in the class. Um, Jaden Bellamy's on the board, but I but I don't believe he is a is a guy that would be an automatic take right now. I, I just I based on some conversations I've had, I don't know if he's a guy that that is necessarily, oh, they have to go get that guy. Uh, when I when I look at safety board, you know, they like the KJ Winston kid from uh from Maryland a lot. They like uh, Kai Stokes. They just offered recently from Florida. We'll have an interview with him uh, coming up tomorrow on Monday. Very high academic kid. He's already got visits set up. I believe he said, I, I could be wrong. At least two of these three are correct, but I thought he said Vanderbilt, Northwestern, and Duke. I thought he said all three. Should tell you, even, and he's from Arm, Seth Armwood in Florida, which is one of the best programs in the state of Florida. So I think he's a guy that if they can get him on campus, and that's a, that's a, a, a new relationship. They offered him recently. There wasn't a, a really long history with him. He recently got offered by Alabama, Notre Dame, but he's a kid that is very academically oriented. If you haven't watched the film, do so. He's a good football player. You know, so I, I still think they're growing their board. Jade Mangum's on the board, but again, not a guy they're necessarily pushing for. Sherrod Koval from Virginia, they're put they're trying to get on campus. He's a guy that they like. So it's a deep board right now. But I, I don't know if they're necessarily pushing for anybody because they're just trying to sort things out and see which of those top level guys have have legitimate interest. You know, if you find out that Xavier Nwangpa, yeah, he likes she's going to visit, but you don't have a shot there, and then that's going to alter what you do. And now maybe you make a push for a guy that you otherwise were just recruiting. Because look, here's the deal: you you recruit players and you treat them as priorities. But there are certain guys that you say, hey, we want you now, and you push for their commitment. There's other guys, say, hey, look. We love you, but you know we want to get you on campus first, and we want you to experience things. So you know, don't commit right now because you know we want you to do this first. There's a way to slow a guy's recruitment down if he really likes you, and and not say, hey, we're going to wait because we want to wait on such and such player. And I think that the better your staff is doing that, the better you're going to be as a recruiting operation. And, and I think Notre Dame is getting a lot better about that. Let's see. Uh, Tommy says if they get Lucas, they more than likely won't take another interior player. I agree with that. Roderick says uh, we are okay at DB, but Rogers would have been a great addition. We do need one elite DB in this class, don't you think? Or do we need to be worried? Okay, there's a there's a middle ground, Roderick, that I would take with that. Rogers would have been awesome. Uh, I've said this before. He is a gap. He's not a gap close. He's not a gap closer. He is a gap eraser. I mean, he is that good of a player. So that's a big loss. Having said that. If you go look at the NFL draft this past weekend, Patrick Sertan went ninth. He was a five-star recruit. J.C. Horn was in the 200s. Greg Newsom was a three-star. I think he was in like the 500s. Uh, Caleb Farley was not a very highly ranked player. So it's about getting an elite DB, but the elite DB isn't always necessarily the five-star guy. I also think, as we saw with Notre Dame in 2018, you can have a great secondary with four really good players and no elite players. And, and you know, you give that, 2018 defense if you give them the 2015 offense or 
you know, another really good team's offense. Notre Dame's played good enough defense in many years in recent seasons to be a championship caliber team. This year, the secondary play took a step back. But I think that with Ryan Barnes and Philip Riley and the incoming freshmen and, uh, you know, you look at the you know, Jade Mickey and some of the guys they're recruiting, maybe they don't have a future top 10 pick. They've got some really good football players on the board. And if you have an elite D line, then then you can win a championship with that. If you're not recruiting defensive line the way that Notre Dame has been, then then you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna lose it. Here's a crazy thing. Did you guys realize? Remember how long people complained about Notre Dame can't get to top defensive linemen? So in 2018, the Cotton Bowl team, they had a four-man defensive end rotation of Julian Aguara, Dalen Hayes, Khalid Kareem, and Adi Ogandishi. All four of those guys have now been drafted in the fifth round or higher. That's pretty good. That defensive line had five guys get drafted, period, because Jerry Tillery also got drafted. So Notre Dame starting to produce that kind of high-level play uh, up front that can protect the secondary a little bit. And if guys like Foskey and Botelho and and Tyson Ford and Aiden Gabera and Darren Agu, and if they can get Cyrus Moss, and you can even take that pass-rushing potential to another level with the kind of elite speed and athleticism they're bringing in at linebacker with Prince Colley last year and Ziegler and Burnham and then some of those other guys, that this that they're starting to get to that front seven where I – put it like this. If they – even if they don't get Moss, and I would love Moss, if they get Lucas and just two of the three linebackers on the board, I'll take Notre Dame's front seven recruiting in, in, in the last few years with anybody. I really would. Rankings be damned. I'm just looking at the film and the talent. I think they're doing a really, really great job there. Okay, KMA Preston. I know rankings don't really matter, but I like when the media gives our recruits respect. With that said, do you think Eli Raritan can end up a four-star prospect on the big recruiting surfaces? Kenny, yes. Willie, have no clue. Uh, if he gets to an all-star game, certainly. But you know, Kenny, yeah. If he goes to a summer camp this year and balls out, yeah, he could get up there. I'm just not overly concerned about it. Okay, here we go. Um so RJ in Irving, right? This is what we write. RJ in Irving. You're from Irving, Texas, I believe. It's what we determined the other day. I saw a video complaining about Michigan having 61 transfers out in the last three years. Other big schools had even more. doesn't seem like Notre Dame is in any way near that. In the last three years, 61, that's a lot. But I, I'm curious if that, do, that doesn't seem to be would make a lot of sense to me. I mean, they wouldn't have any scholarship players left if they hadn't. Yeah, are some of those guys grad transfers? So they were going to leave anyway. They weren't well because here's the thing: it's like certain players leave as grad transfers. Well, they weren't going to come back anyway. That's not really a transfer that hurts the program. So I, I don't really, I don't really that but doesn't bother me. The other thing, the other thing, but Notre Dame is they don't have as many transfers as other programs because once kids get a couple years into the program and they're like, "Wow, I'm I'm a, a year and a half away from getting a Notre Dame degree," they tend to stay, and, and that's kind of. That's kind of a big reason why we don't see Notre Dame uh, miss as much. Okay, here we go. Keith Walls says, to piggyback off Jeff's question, do you think Notre Dame and Kelly will try even harder to keep Elston? He's obviously a huge part of Notre Dame's success on and off the field. I give Brian Kelly credit. Anytime that there's ever been a push for Mike Elston, he's he's stepped up and, and made it known that, hey, we want you here and, and we'll do what we need to do to keep you. I, I think that – I think Mike Elson is being part of the program is 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 an important thing for Notre Dame as a recruiting coordinator, especially. I think that is a great role for him. I, I, I as long as he wants to have it, I think it's good to have him there. And, and of course, he's done a great job with the defensive line in, in recent seasons. Okay, see the last few questions here. Uh, here we go. 
technical technician. I'm going to bring this up because uh, I'm actually going to be, it's 3.07 right now. I'm going to be on Mark's show at 4 o'clock Eastern. Right? So uh, as soon as we wrap up this, I'm going to go have a little bit of lunch, and then I'm going to join Mark at 4 o'clock for a show. I don't know if it's going to be live or not. I'm not sure if he all his shows are live or not. Uh, did a fantastic job with Mark Rogers. Thank you. It was quality entertainment, informative, and completely free of the dreadful disease that once uh, he uh, so many college or excuse me has infected uh, so many college football fans. Homerism. I, you know what? Honestly, homerism is fine for me because homerism creates. You're usually passionate, and passion are people who read my site. I like passionate fans. I just wish we could have more more. My issue with 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 what's going on with fans today, and this is includes analysts and fans, so it's happening on my side of, the, of this converse of this relationship as well. Is too many people are unwilling to have conversations. It's you don't agree with me, you're an idiot, and you're wrong. And here's the other thing I hate that comes from the Homer side. If you criticize a player, I think Ian Book played poorly. Oh, you're a hater. This this notion that being critical makes you a hater is just childish and juvenile. And then you get the people on the other side that that you know will take anything that happens and try to use it to make it to where Brian Kelly, you know, smacks babies or something like that. It, it gets frustrating. I like talking football, and I think the more objective you are, the more you'll draw people that that want to also be objective. And even if you, they don't agree with you, I can't tell you how many times I get emails from people, and I don't know why people feel the need to do this, but they say, "I don't always agree with you," but and I'm like, "Well, good. I don't. You don't need to always agree with me. That's part of what makes this fun." I'm not a big fan of the soapbox thing. You know, I, I have I have political heroes and historical heroes and sports heroes, and I guarantee I'd have disagreements with them, but that's okay. That's, to me, what makes it fun. Uh, Michael Scheller says, thanks, Brian. Love your transparency when breaking th- down all things related to Notre Dame. Devin Moore, in my opinion, is very good and could play corner and safety. Get me those Virginia athletes. And obviously, he's not from Virginia, so I won't hold that against him. But, yes, Sherrod Koval is. Uh, Aiden Gabera is, and they've already got him and, and Xavier Bradshaw is. I would love it to get three guys in this class from Virginia. That would make me very, 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 very happy. All right, Brandon says, I was told by another beat writer that Morrison, Martinez, Moore, along with Mickey, would all have a spot in this class. How do you feel about that, Hall, and would you feel Notre Dame would still need a true safety? Yeah, I don't, I don't believe that to be true based on some conversations I have. I think we could see it that eventually happen, but right now I don't believe that that I don't believe they would all be takes because here's the thing. You could say as a coach all four of those guys are takes, but they're not all four takes together. Does that make sense, Brandon? And you could say, "Hey, look, would you take if you saw if I went to Mike Mickens hypothetically and I said, "Hey coach, would you take Benjamin Morrison?" He may say, "Yes." "Okay, coach, would you take Devin Moore?" He may say, "Yes." "Would you take Nikai Martinez?" He may say, "Yes." But then you say, well, you can take all three of those guys together. No, we're going to take one of those guys or two of those guys. That's a hypothetical situation. That's how recruiting works. You say, hey, look, I have three quarterbacks on my board. They're all takes. doesn't mean you're going to take all three of them. You're going to take the first one that wants to commit, but they're all good enough and close enough in, in talent that you're, you know, you'll you take the first one that wants to commit. So I think that is, is to me, where that would be uh, would be accurate that, that, yes, they may all be takes right now. They're not all being pushed for to commit. And they wouldn't take all four of them if that may. I hope that that kind of uh, makes sense. Uh, KMA Press, how many silent commits do you think Notre Dame has right now? I'm comfortable saying two right now. If Indy can close in tier D line with Lucas and Hinnish, yeah, that's really good. Yeah, I w- even if it's just Lucas. But yeah, look, Donovan Heinish is a good football player. He, he really is. 
Roderick says, I like dominant DTs, Lewis Nick, Stephon Tuitt, Jerry Tillery, and Lucas would be a great kit. I'd throw Sheldon Dan there as well. And Notre Dame's had some good ones. They just haven't been able to consistently get them uh, together. Uh, Larry, appreciate you being part of the show. I appreciate the kind words. Uh, Jeff Fluke, were you shocked when Ian Book was drafted in the fourth round? No, I was not. So we did a pre-draft show on Thursday. And the thing that I had mentioned is, because look, let's just look at the data, okay? I forget my opinion of Ian Book as a player. Forget whether I think he should have been a sixth, seventh, or undrafted player. Let's just look at the data, okay? I went back 25 years, and in 25 years, there was only twice that the, the draft had fewer than nine quarterbacks. Well, the consensus is, and I would agree with the consensus, that Ian Book is no worse than the ninth best quarterback. So you look at history that way and you say, yeah, it's going to be nine. Then here's what else happened. You had five quarterbacks go in the top 15 picks. That pushed the next level of guys up, and that was Kyle Trask, Kellen Mond, and um, Davis Mills from Stanford. And I said on Thursday, if there's a run on quarterbacks in rounds two and three, then you're going to see Ian Book get jumped up because, as I said then, there's no way the NFL goes from round three to round seven without taking a quarterback. And I think most NFL people look at Ian Book as a better prospect than Sam Ehlinger, Felipe Franks, who went undrafted, Shane Bichelle, who went undrafted. There's no way Ian Book, they're going to go three, four rounds without taking a quarterback. And, and it's just look at history. It just doesn't happen. So once that run got made, and I tweeted about it on Friday night, that when it was three p- quarterbacks in four picks, so the Buccaneers took Kyle Trask with the 64th pick at the end of the second round. And then in the top of the third round, there was a another player. I think Andre Sisco, I think the Jacksonville took Andre Sisco. They weren't going to take a quarterback. This got Trevor Lawrence. So then the next two picks were Minnesota and Houston. Minnesota took Kellen Mond, and then Houston took, uh, Houston took uh, Davis Mills. So when that happened, I tweeted out. I said, this is great news for Ian Book. Great news for Ian Book because this is exactly the scenario that I talked about on Thursday before the draft that if that run happens, then you're going to see Ian Book get bumped way up. If those guys would have gone in round, you know, if they would have fallen to round four, then Ian Book would have been pushed back even more. And and so that's kind of what made it really interesting um, of how it all went down. So if you were to say, am I surprised based on his talent or what I see as projection? Well, then yes. But just looking at it as a draft analyst, I wasn't surprised by it. Tommy, you're my guy. You're my buddy. But you're about to get banned. And this is what Tommy said. It's about to get a ban. I think we can all agree that this is a ban-worthy comment. Virginia is 53rd out of 50 in terms of talent. Tommy, it, it, we're, we're going to have some problems, buddy. We're going to have some problems here. Just a couple uh, couple draft questions. Um Okay, or here's a recruiting question. Do you think Prince can make any type of move on the depth chart this fall? Absolutely. And that that's a if he's a, especially if he's going to be a rover, there's a a place a place for him there, sure. Uh Brandon says, "Who do you see as a better prospect, Morrison or Martinez? That's who I see it would come down to between I personally like Morrison better." And and, and if I were to do a ranking right now, it would not shock me if when I went through my my category of grades, if Nakai Martinez was higher because he's got a higher floor. He's He's more ready-made. Nakai Martinez is kind of the guy that could come in and play very early. But the reason I like Benjamin Morrison more is because I like – I we know this, right? I'm a ceiling guy. To me, Benjamin is taller. He is more athletic. I think Nakai is faster. But I think Benjamin is more athletic. I think he's got better hips. I think they both have good ball skills. I just think in three – right now, Nakai might be the better player. But in three years, I think Ben Morrison is going to be the better player. And that's why, personally, I would take – 
Benjamin Morrison. If it's close, I'm always going to err on the side of this of the higher ceiling. That that's just kind of how I was. A couple more draft question. Aspect 2K. Were you shocked that Awusu got drafted late second round of Floored? Look, a lot of the a lot of the mock drafts had him going from like between like 19 and 28. When you're that, when you're there, that sure there's a scenario in which you drop into the early second round. But when he slid past 40 and past 45, all the way down to 52, I was floored. And as you know, it to me, it's it's yeah, there's some things about positionless football and all that, but there has to be something more there. And I don't know what it is, but there has to be something more there. Searcher Green Nine says, "Were you shocked when Ben was drafted in the seventh round?" Yes. I, well, I have no clue what the Rams are doing a receiver. They drafted a 148-pound receiver, Tutu Atwell, in round two. I, I didn't get that one. I, and I love Tutu was a really good college football player. He's 148 pounds. That's what he weighed in at. He's 148 pounds. It, it, you want to draft him around four or five? Go for it. But round two. And then, to me, with Ben Skoranek, he struggles to get separation. He's not very athletic, in my opinion. And his production was okay. To me, you took the inferior player of, from Notre Dame. And Javon McKinley is a better player than Ben Skronik. I mean, I, I don't know how anyone can argue that. And he doesn't have – Javon has an injury history, but Ben had a pretty bad foot injury that he got hurt in the, in the, at the Senior Bowl. So I, that didn't make a lot of sense to me. Uh, Keith Walls, love the live content. Listen to you through many different sites. Always appreciate hearing your perspective. Hey, you know what? And I've been, a, this is now what, third site that I've worked for now. So it's uh, it's been a lot of fun, but I appreciate you being being along for the ride, Keith. Very, very much. Uh, J- Joseph Juan, does Ian Book getting drafted impact co- quarterback recruiting at all? I think it does. I mean, is it going to be as impactful as, you know, having a guy in the first round? No. But you just had a three-star recruit that went in the fourth round and, and doesn't have great skills. I think people are going to look at that and say, "Hey, you know what? What could Tyler Buckner do?" Or if you're, you know, if you're, you know, looking at the 2023 class, hey, Dante Moore, look what we do with Ian Book. Imagine what we could do with you. I think that certainly helps with recruiting. Is it like this huge needle mover that this five-star kid wasn't going to give you the time of day? Is Arch Manning going to all of a sudden come Notre Dame because of Ian Book getting picked in the fourth round? No. But does it impact cubic recruiting? I absolutely think so. Absolutely think so. And, and Joseph, yeah, I agree. I was surprised Ben was drafted over McKinley. I do as well. Okay, as, aspect 2K. Who do you think will start quarterback-wise this upcoming season? I think it's going to be Jack Cohn. And I think what's what's happening right now is um, uh, I, I think – so. So Vince and I have been talking about uh, about this for a while. The ideal scenario for me, and I think Vince agrees, but y'all can ask him again on the next show. The perfect world f- for me is 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 Jack Cohn or Drew Pine. One of those guys emerges, and and honestly, I prefer Jack Cohn. I love Drew Pine, but Jack's got the experience, and I think there is a, a some value in experience. If if it's close, I take the experience guy. My issue with Ian Book and the last young inexperienced quarterback is it wasn't close talent wise. In this instance, it's very close talent wise. And I think Jack's experience bodes well, but that Trevor Buckner, Tyler Buckner plays so well. That, that was a Freudian slip did not mean to do that, but, but Tyler Buckner plays so well that they're like, that we have to find a role for him. And, and I think he did some things on Saturday that, that makes them think twice about, okay, we have to figure out a way to get him on the field. Michael Scheller says, I realize it's very, very early, but I really hope Notre Dame's 2023 quarterback committed is Dante Moore. Need to add talent quarterback to push Notre Dame to the top. Buckner needs to be followed up by Moore, in my opinion. Michael, I agree with your sentiment. I don't think that it has to only be Dante Moore. This this has the makings, from what I've seen so far, of being a really 
good quarterback class. So there's to me, I've already seen four or five guys already that I've seen, and I haven't seen anywhere close to all the top quarterbacks that could be gap closers. You know, I mean, just game changer recruits. Dante Moore is the closest, and I love Dante Moore. But there's some other guys that 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 they could get on and that they are on that could could be that kind of player as well. All right. Uh, uh, somebody already said this, but we'll kind of put it out there. Javon McKinley didn't even get drafted, but he possibly could get picked up uh, from some team. He actually signed with the Lions, as did Tommy Kramer and Brock Wright. And then uh, Nick McLeod signed with Buffalo. Sean Crawford signed with the Raiders. I believe that is it so far of, of guys. I don't even know who else would, who else there would be, but that's kind of what's happened so far. Uh, and and I think again we've talked about this. My preference is, is instead of being a sixth or seventh round pick, my preference would be to be an undrafted free agent because you know the teams um, teams are there. Do you do you think uh, the Saints saw Ian Book as a Drew Brees? I don't. I think if the Saints saw him as Drew Brees, they would have drafted him higher. I think they see him as a backup quarterback that if their starter gets hurt or falters, has the kind of maturity and experience and athleticism to, to be a productive quarterback. Agree or disagree, I, I think that's how they see it. I just don't um, – I just don't – I don't know if – they. I don't think – I mean, again, if they saw him as Drew Brees, they'd have picked him where, this, where the Chargers picked Drew Brees, which was the number one pick of the second round. Okay, KMA Preston, we're going to wrap up here soon because I got to go grab some lunch before I do the, the live show with Mark Rogers at 4 o'clock. So if you want to hear more of what I had to say, more team-oriented in the spring game – uh, go check out Mark Rogers' uh, show. How is the quarterback room playing out? Any of the freshmen like that you get a good amount of playing time? I think it's certainly possible. Uh, I think when you look at it, uh, um, I think that Ryan Barnes played well yesterday, but he missed early parts of the spring practice, so that put him a little bit behind. I think Philip Riley ended the spring on a much higher note, so now those guys have to jump into the fall and continue battling, but it's going to be a little bit tougher at cornerback than I than originally because I think Tariq Bracey had a great spring. I really liked what I saw from Cam Hart in the game Saturday. I think he's done nothing but lock down that boundary position. You know, unless he falters going in the fall, I, I really like where he's at, barring injury or or something along those lines. So I, I really like what we saw at corner. Now they've got to go continue to do it and still continue to get better, but I, I really liked what I saw from them. Um, Brandon's uh, here we go. We've had some stuff. We're going to do, let's do something soon on 2023 quarterbacks. I think I'm going to, I'm not going to take the rest of these quarterback questions. Um, I'm kind of diving through the film now and, and trying to figure out where things are with Notre Dame and quarterback recruiting. But I think that'd be a good show idea. Now that we're in the off season, it's just kind of taking a look at 2023 quarterback. Maybe we can watch some film together of the top guys. Talk about who Notre Dame's on, talk about who Notre Dame should get on. And then we'll try to figure out if we can, if we can get, get things going, uh, there. Um, <laughs> the answer is yes. The answer is yes. Uh, my wife should make me lunch right now. And that, by the way, that is my wife asking that question. Uh, last question. Will Blake Fisher start, uh, aspect two K honestly, I'll be shocked if he doesn't start. He's been that good this spring. And, and there's also been enough other question marks. Now, will he start at left tackle? Will he move to right tackle? Will he eventually move to guard? I think I think where he starts remains to be seen, but there's a reason they gave him all those reps of left tackle. I, I He's just – and I've talked to people that – I've talked to people that uh, have, aren't in the program anymore. People have come back to watch practice because we didn't get to see any practice. So I, I've had to really rely on trying to find sources that have seen practice. And to a person, every single person that I've talked to, and I've talked to maybe 
eight or nine different people that have seen practices that we haven't seen have said, that guy's a stud. That guy's a, f-. I mean, this is the word first round pick. Nine people, first round pick, star. All, I mean, a guy's great. And uh, and it's not just the size. I saw your follow-up. He's a big kid. It's not just the size. It's the athleticism that comes with that size. I talked to someone that's connected with a couple of defensive players at Notre Dame, and the comment was, he is so incredibly powerful. You don't hear that about a freshman. That's what we heard about Quentin Nelson when he was a freshman. He's got very heavy hands, very powerful. Once he gets his hands on you, game over. And we showed some. he showed some intelligence on Saturday, too. There was a play where he was blocking in, and there was a corner fire, and he stepped out to pick it up. To see a freshman make that kind of play, that's intelligence. That's not just 6'6", 330, and God gifted him with these physical tools. That's fine, but it's also you got to be smart. And I thought Blake showed me that he's got the mind to play this position, too, and you never know how anyone's going to be until they get to college and show that. And so that's the thing that had me so excited about him. So that is going to be it for today's show. It's 3.24 p.m. Eastern if you're listening live now. In about 36 minutes, I'm going to be on with Mark Rogers on his YouTube channel. So check that out. I believe he and I are going to talk about the Notre Dame spring game. And he'll always put up questions from non-Notre Dame fans that they'll want to come at me. But I kind of enjoy that. I think you all know I enjoy that. So appreciate everybody being with us. We'll be back tomorrow at our 1 o'clock. Actually, I'm going to have to get with Vince. I'm not sure if Vince will be with us tomorrow, but I will definitely be there tomorrow. Uh, We're going to wrap up some spring game stuff. We'll talk about... Uh, we'll kind of start looking forward to the offseason. We'll get into re- a lot more recruiting and have a lot more fun. So, everybody, thanks so much for being with us on this Sunday afternoon. This is a big commitment for Notre Dame. I love Eli Raritan's film and his upside, and I think this is going to be the beginning of a very eventful month of May. So uh, make sure that you're locked into hoursbreakdown.com. Make sure you have subscribed and hit the notification bell for our YouTube channel. And if you're listening on a podcast, make sure that you are subscribed to Notre Dame's podcast. And as always. We appreciate your patronage at irishbreakdown.com. Everybody have a great weekend. Talk to you again very, very soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. 
Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.